Hello, friends. We are back with episode 117 of the Art Weekly Highlights podcast. I am personally fresh from a, quite an adventure out in the Great Smoky Mountains, so I'm unwinding a bit, but it's great to be back in the swing of things. And to help me do that, of course, is my great co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Not not quite as traveled as you lately, uh, but looking forward to the warm weather this summer, uh, getting me out there a, a little bit more. And as you know, we have some some travel to do together later this year. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Luckily, the travel I'll do to the conference is much less than what I just did. <laughs> It'll be a three-hour drive for me. You'll have a short flight. But yeah, we are very much looking forward to Chicago in September for the Posit Conference. And um, certainly, well, while we're on that subject, it's not too late to register for our Shiny in Production Workshop. So if you want more info on that, just had the, the you can just search for Deposit Conf 2023. You'll find the registration right there and we'd be happy to have you. Shameless plug. You know, that's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't just plug our stuff, of course. We're plugging our weekly because our weekly is the reason we're here and our issue this week was curated by John Calder, another fantastic release. And as always, he had tremendous help from our Art Weekly team members and contributors like you all around the world. And we're gonna get really geeky with this one because our first highlight is a GitHub gist, but it's got a lot packed in it. And it is from a good friend of ours who's been very active in the Shiny in our community, Dr. Peter Salimos, who was, I was very fortunate to have joined me in the recent Shiny Conf, uh, Shiny Dev Series live recording, which hopefully we'll have the recording out very soon. But he was amazing with this post, which talks about how we can do web API calls in R, which we have talked a lot about the plumber package for good reason. It is becoming a huge presence in the, capabilities for R to have, in essence, equal footing of all these other web technologies to put very sophisticated or simple or maybe somewhere in between uh, processes for use as a web API. But Plumber was not the first to do this, folks. In fact, this just is a great stroll down memory lane for me because there is a lot. In fact, Peter has 10 examples of producing web APIs from R all with different frameworks. And the first one that caught my eye, this isn't quite in chronological order of the gist, but as I scroll through this, there is a package called rserve. This is authored by Simon Urbanek, who, if that name sounds familiar, is a member of the R core team. So there's some great cachet right there. He released rserve, get this, 2006, that is, if my math is correct, 17 years ago, R had this capability. Can you believe it? It's just crazy, isn't it? So I remember experimenting a little bit of R serve back in my grad school days when we were trying to put like a simple like mix of PHP, MySQL, and a little bit of R analysis for some local parks to serve up their data and give them some insights. And I admit I was way over my head. I didn't know any of this stuff works. But it's great to see just if, knowing what I know now, that doesn't seem too bad. And then there are others that uh, struck my fancy a bit. Rook is another package that was released in 2011. It's actually been forked uh, more recently. 
It was originally offered by Jeffrey Horner, and it is based on the use of reference classes, or RC. You don't hear about this as much as the R6 and S4 paradigms, but if you ever want to know how you could do web APIs with this, Rook is an interesting thing to explore as well. And then I caught OpenCPU. This is authored by Euron Ooms, who we just talked about a few weeks ago as the architect behind the R universe infrastructure. So I always thought to myself, OpenCPU was really kind of ahead of its time. It, it can do all sorts of things from a web API standpoint. I think that may have been a precursor to his adventures of our universe. Of course, don't quote me on that. Jerome, if you ever want to write back to us, let us know. But I think you definitely got some inspiration from your adventures from OpenCPU because it is amazingly intricate and, and very innovative. And then, of course, there are some other nice ones here, too, such as Thomas Lynn Peterson's exploration in web APIs with the Fiery package. That's an awesome name, Fiery. I love it. And right off the bat, uh, Thomas is quick to say that this is different than Shiny. It is very general. You have to do more of the heavy lifting, but with that, you get more flexibility, in his opinion. So it is an interesting take on how you could use Fiery from both a Shiny context, but also in this context, just a simple web API. You could do either one. It's up to you to stitch it all together. And so the whole gist is basically the same Hello World type example, but again, coded in 10 different packages. And then in the end, you get to see a little comment in the gist that talks about the release dates of each of these packages. And that's where I saw that as if I didn't feel old enough, like I said, with, with uh, our serve being out in 2006, all the way to more recently, where we've seen adventures from John Cohen with the Amburix package, which I believe has been archived actually, but it was an adventure nonetheless. So a great timeline there at the end. And he even has a nice little ggplot that shows a download stat so you can run in your R console as well if you want to get some download numbers historically of what's been happening here. But really awesome. I'd say just run with it. Have a nice comparison to see where we've gone, where we come as a community in this technology. And I really enjoyed seeing all the technical bits here and comparing and contrasting how you can do web APIs in R with many of these packages. Well, you, you covered quite a bit of it. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And there are some big, big names behind these different API framework R packages, as you had mentioned. And it, I thought it was really, really cool that, that Peter took the time to sort of put this all together. Um, because again, it's, I think, a great demonstration of just all the different options that we have and different ways of sort of doing the same thing, right? And one might be a little bit more tailored to your use case than another, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So it's nice to have the different options out in front of us. And and for sure, it includes some of maybe the, the better known R packages, such as Plumber and HTTP UV that I'd seen before, but so many others that, that I did not know about, including uh, Beaker, Rook and OpenCPU, as you mentioned, RServe, REST RServe as well, which maybe is a more recent uh, incarnation of RServe. Um, so it, really, really interesting. And, and, you know, APIs at a higher level are, are just really a phenomenal way to wrap your, your model's logic into something that folks across your organization can use from their other applications that don't need to know anything about R. 
Um, and some people have strong opinions against microservices, but I am not one of them. Uh, <laughs> and it, it doesn't even have to be a model, right? It can be any R logic that you can wrap up into an API to allow others to leverage. So again, it's just really nice to be able to see all these different options in front of us and know that there are so many different ways to stand up an API from R and uh, not everything needs to be deployed with Python. Oh, hot take number one of many, perhaps. <laughs> I, I don't know. But no, I've, I've, I've lived that life as well in the recent years where sometimes I'll do a simple API in front of a complicated database. And that way the user doesn't have to care about database credentials. I take care of all that from the back end. They just have to call a get request. I'm able to get the info they need and protect the other stuff. And it just that the art is stitching it all together. I mean, I, I think separating business logic into fit for purpose things, it's kind of like the Linux philosophy. One package that does one thing and does it well, you could do have microservices that each do one thing and do it well. But the again, the art is how do you orchestrate it together where it's easy for your users of your overall app to get in, get in line with it and be able to use it effectively, but also as you as a developer or the team of developers to be able to maintain that and to be able to develop them in sync. You know, those are separate issues, of course, but you, you can have as much flexibility as you want with these frameworks. And it, yeah, it's, it's very important in my day-to-day -day job right now. Yes, and shout out to actually a project that I worked on with Peter, which uh, was a, a shiny app that included the ability to download, I think, TIFF files or raster images or something like that from within the shiny app, which those links in the app called out an API that he had developed to, to sort of do exactly that, be able to, to query a database, um, essentially, and download just the, the data that you wanted. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm a little jealous. I'd love to be able to collaborate with Peter on a project someday. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, I guess I'm kind of curious now that I got to figure out what framework he he used for standing up that API. He's <laughs> ten. <laughs> yeah, you got ten possibilities to choose from. I guess <laughs> you're guessing. <laughs> Now you, you mentioned Mike trying to wrestle some, you know, data files, maybe from a remote source or another location. Well, that's a good transition to our last highlight of today, which is of course, you've got your data. They could be either locally stored or on a web server somewhere or somewhere in between. What are some interesting and hopefully easier ways for you to get these into R for your post-processing so that you can actually get to your data analysis? Our next highlight is a blog post authored by Kieran Healy, who is a professor of sociology at Duke University, all about reading, in this case, remote data files or local data files. In this case, we're talking about some congressional type data. But he starts with case one, which is you have a bunch of CSV files. For whatever reason, they're stored in separate files. Well, this might be the easiest case to deal with because in functions from the read R package, like read underscore CSV, note that's different than the base R, read.csv, you can have a vector of files to read from. Well, geez, all you have to do then is make sure you can get the path to your files. Maybe it's a directory somewhere 
feed that into read underscore CSV. Bob's your uncle, as they say, and you've got it. You've got all the data tidied up and bundled together. Now, this is where we take a turn. We're about to drive into, a, drive into another curve here, Mike. It's time for Excel. You have your seatbelts on. Yeah, I might have to put two on. Yeah, me too. This is giving me um, uh, flashbacks to my road trip recently. We were driving up this mountain area and then we had high winds and I'm like, oh, oh is our car going to tip over? Well, Excel sometimes makes you feel that way too, because you never know what you're going to get with this. Unfortunately, with Excel, not everything is as easy as it was with the CSV version because Yes, there are packages to read Excel files in the R. Well, yeah, you almost have to at this point. It's <laughs> in so one way or another you have to deal with Excel. But read underscore XLSX from the read Excel package, unfortunately, does not bind multiple files together at once. So what can you do when you still have a directory of Excel files stored somewhere and you want to minimize the amount of times you call read underscore XOSX, well, that's where our friend from the PER package comes through. PER with map underscore DFR. That is the easiest way to feed in that direct that pass of file names and then bind them all together by row. Now that's all local. This was talking the big picture here is about what happens when they're remote, right? Well, in some websites, even today, you might have a website that looks just like an index of links. This is actually called a directory listing, much like you might do on your computer, but in a web form. And so the example goes to having a whole bunch of Excel files that are stored on a FTP front end site from the CDC. Now, how can you get these? Well, this is where you have to get a little creative sometimes because you notice that all these links are gonna have a pattern to it. They're gonna have the same base address, but they might change the file name prefix, but then they might have the same suffix. One of the ways that Kieran tackles this issue is you could actually scrape this web page using RVEST to grab all the hyperlinks, which are of course the A tag in web lingo, and then grab the source of each of those links and then use that and do a little massaging to get the file names, get the output like extension. And then now you've got that remote set of file names. Now, had these been CSVs, you'd be done because you could just read remote files directly with read underscore CSV. It doesn't care if it's local or remote as long as you get the path right. But this is where it gets tricky with Excel, you can't quite do that easily. So Kieran takes a, a, a novel trick, which admittedly I use in a production setting for a much different context, is you have to temporarily download that Excel file to a temp area somewhere. And then make sure that the file name, no matter what cryptic thing it puts in front of it, has the right extension at the end. That's important because read Excel will not be happy with you. if It's not an XOSX or XOS file. So once he does that little magic, again, in a nice little utility function that he calls get underscore life table, he's able to simply then call read Excel's read XOSX on that temp file and import it in. These are tricks that those of us who have been in the trenches will have to do at some point. 
But luckily, the example is very easy to follow I, in, in this blog post. It's very well narrated of the different steps and why Kieran chose the frameworks he did. But once you've got it, then you've got your tidy data once again. You're ready to do some analysis. But yes, Excel strikes again. But hey, it doesn't have to be too painful. You don't have to feel like you're driving through a 2000 high mountain to get through it. This blog post is a great way to see just what's capable of when your files are not exactly stored in a convenient place. So Mike, what do you think about this adventure here? Yeah, I think it's a great demonstration about, you know, as data scientists, we have to employ a few different tools usually, right, to get to the end, you know, of what we need to accomplish here. And, you know, that's very well demonstrated in this blog post with the use of, of RVS to try to scrape those links, the use of curl to create a connection to the FTP site to retrieve the file names and, and sort of control what Kieran gets back. Um, I was going to say, you know, leave it to the life sciences industry not to provide an API to their data, but instead an FTP with a bunch of Excel files. Am I right, Eric? Oh, yeah. You couldn't have said it better. Oof, that hurts. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just kidding. No, but it's it's really uh, beautifully concise code that, that Kieran puts together and that helper function that get underscore life table um, is really nice. There's assignment inside of a a function, which uh, is, is something that you don't see out in the wild too often, but but I can definitely see what he, he's he's going after there. Um, employing the HTTR package, temp files as well, like you said, to download this data temporarily, then read it into, uh, into a data frame with read underscore XLSX from the read Excel package. And then just like you said, at the very end, uh, what sound does a cat make? We are employing per this one liner essentially uh, map data frame across that that get life table function that he uh, custom created and it, it couldn't be easier at the end to, to just concatenate all that data together into a single table so really well articulated blog post and uh, I think it's a use case probably that all of us have encountered at one time or another. So this is going to be a great reference for me to have uh, in, in my back pocket for the next time that I inevitably run into a bunch of Excel files. Yeah, you can't avoid it. It's like having clouds in the sky. They're going to happen someday. <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. but um, I, I, what I really like, though, is that the post is kind of like if you encounter this situation, you start to see a pattern of how things are similar. In this case, the links, right? If you see that they're similar, stop yourself from being like, okay, I'll just copy paste, copy paste. Just, just put the brakes on for a second because you never know in those, in this case, it would have been like 50 or so of these copy pastes or there was a file for each state. You could just have one typo somewhere and then it's all going to go crashing down. So if this is part of a process that you want to automate and hopefully be hands off once you initially develop it. You want to automate as much as you possibly can and avoid the manual effort. I don't think you need to hear us tell you that twice, but take it from someone who's been down that trap of trying to get something done quickly and end up, you know, hurting myself a bit in the foot, so to speak, because I had one error and one typo and it was so difficult to track down. So if you can scrape or find some logic to piece the paths together like like Karen does here, you're going to be much better off. So again, just take it for somebody who's been through it the hard way. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, 
one note just because I think I got burned by this in the past recently. If you are going to, if you, you absolutely need to download a file first before you read it into a data frame, please use the temp file function from, from BaseR. Don't create a new directory in whatever working directory uh, your user is going to be working in at that point in time. That's all. Oh, you're not the only one who's been down that trap before. <laughs> I had what I probably one of my most well-known internal packages was doing that very thing when I didn't know any better. But uh, that's been that's been changed since because you know. Yes. You, you, you live and learn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a lot of learning to be had, folks, and the rest of the issue of our weekly this week. And John, like I said, has done a tremendous job. So we'll take a a few minutes here to call out some additional finds. And for me, it's more of a call to action, you might say. Oscar Barufa, if that name sounds familiar, he is the one who's authored the Big Book of R site, which has been very much featured in previous episodes and a wonderful resource for people to get their learning on across different subjects. Well, he's looking for a community input on a possible proposal that he wants to send to the R Consortium, which if it's accepted, could be a sanctioned project with funding for some additional development to basically supercharge much of the infrastructure and overall quality of the big book of R. He's got a, a pretty hefty wish list, but if this gets selected, he would like to use some community input that he gets in this call to action as part of his proposal. So we'll have a link in the show notes where if you want to get in touch and, and send your feedback to Oscar, he would greatly appreciate it. But I did have a look at some of the things he's asking for to, to work on in this R Consortium proposal. There are very important things, in my opinion, like having a robust database structure of the content that he could do a lot more with. And also, he wants to put it into Quarto. Why not, right? That's a big ticket item. And then making, he has a big wish list here, but I think the last item might be the one I most uh, got my attention on, is that each book, when you click on that, imagine if you're able to get its table of contents right in the big book of our resource. That could be a huge win for usability and user experience. But that's going to take some infrastructure enhancements and engineering uh, development to make happen. So, you know, I wish Oscar the best of luck. Hopefully this uh, little plug here will get some more eyes on this with some more community input. But, um, yeah, we're, we look forward to seeing hopefully some great improvements to the big book of R in the near future. I feel like there may potentially could be some overlap between what's happened in the R universe from a technological standpoint in terms of, I don't know, doing a, a great job at representing a ton of information um, as well as the big book of R kind of from a high level is sort of doing the same thing, right? Trying to do a great job at encapsulating a ton of content and resources. So I, you know, that, I think we got some steam under our belt on this topic from, from what's gone on in the R universe and, and hopefully Oscar can get some of those tailwinds as well for this project. Very cool. Yep. Well, Mike, what did you find this week? I found two that I wanted to call out. One highlight is something that I think is is talked about quite often, and I think folks have 
quite varying opinions on it as well from time to time. It's Balancing Classes in Classification Problems. It's a blog by Matt Kay. Um, and sort of the subtitle is why that's generally a bad idea. So he, he looks at it from a few different use cases uh, using all of your favorite tidyverse packages as well to uh, sort of explore differences in, in prediction and accuracy as well as different resampling approaches like like smote um, for balancing and, and rebalancing training data and, and to take a look at sort of how that impacts the actual accuracy of the predictions at the end of the day and some really great discussion as well in this blog post about when maybe it makes sense to rebalance and when it, it might not make sense to rebalance. So that was one highlight that I found. And then a second one is uh, an interview with Wu Jun Jung, who uh, is the founder of the R Korea Group. And he was interviewed by the R Consortium to discuss uh, his efforts on using R in finance and accounting in Korea. And I, I feel like, you know, we, we do hear a lot about life sciences and, and other sciences where R is is used heavily in um, and in finance and accounting maybe don't get quite as much recognition. And this could be biased a little bit on my end because I do a lot of work in that field. Um, but I thought it was nice to see an interview and Wu Junjung's perspective on uh, how R is being leveraged currently and, and hopefully in the future as well um, in this particular industry. Yeah, that's something I'm going to be looking at as well. I've uh, greatly admired many of the prominent members in the finance community. And in fact, um, one little fun fact, I believe the author or at least one of the main authors of the VS Code R extension, Kun Ren, is heavily involved in finance as well. So yeah, I, I've been greatly admire a lot of their work. So I'll be I'll be reading that interview um, after I record this when I get some downtime again. Very, very nice. And what else is nice? Well, again, the rest of the issue. And of course, we will have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And we always love hearing from you. If you want to get in touch with us on the podcast itself, we have a little contact page directly linked in the show notes. And as well, if you have one of those fancy new modern podcast apps like Fountain or Podverse, you can send us a little boostergram inside the app itself to give us a little bit of a you know, nice message uh, right in your podcast player. So very easy to connect with a service called Alby. And I have links to how you can do all that in the show notes as well. And of course, our weekly loves your contributions. We are just a pull request away from our markdown draft of the current issue. If you find a great link to a package, a great blog post, an interesting find, a great community resource, we'd love to hear about it. So get it. Go to rweekly.org. You're going to see a link to the draft right there and a way to quickly send a poll request. We'd love to hear what you have to share with us on the R community. And you can also get in touch with us directly. I am still sporadically on Twitter with at the RCast, but I'm also on Mastodon with at our podcast at podcastindex.social, causing all sorts of mischief over there. Uh, Mike, where can people find you? Yes, likewise. I find myself uh, using Twitter less and less these days. The content just seems to be less and less uh, data science in terms of what I'm seeing on my timeline for whatever reason. So I am trying to be more active on Mastodon, and you can find me over there at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. And by the way, we do want to give a great shout out to James Wade, who very much surprised us last night as we record this with 
an enhancement to his GPT tools package that we just talked about recently, where apparently now we can transcribe our very own podcast with GPT tools. Can you believe that? You don't have to listen to us anymore. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Please still download our episodes. But yes, um, I may have to put this in my production pipeline. <laughs> this is this is awesome stuff. So that, that space is evolving quite rapidly. So he's got links to that and well as other examples that have become in GPD tools. So that's worth checking out as well. Yes. Thank you, James. Yeah. Thanks for the shout out. We appreciate it. And it's great, great to see the innovations in this space. Well, now we're gonna that's gonna wrap up episode 117. My little one is is frantically pulling my chair away. So that means I gotta go. But we'll be back with episode 118 of our weekly highlights next week. <laughs>